<laughs> uh, hello, folks. Nathan Bear here, co-host of the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Mike has been kidnapped by the Ashabrajani Mafia due to certain unpaid debts. Uh, and we've been forced to take on a sponsor to get money uh, to bring him back onto the show. So without uh, further ado, I'm here with the representative of uh, uh, something gravy. My name is... Tane Devane, I, my representative is Dale Dale Greavy. We we've gone into partnership for Greavy's Gravy. You can have it in uh, gray or green, with lumps or or smooth. Greavy's Gravy goes down great every time, guaranteed. We guaranteed gallons of guzzling gravy from Greavy's, and take it from me, Tane Devane. That the Godzilla Pod Bar is going to be turning a corner for this. I, I predict many more episodes after this one because of how well this partnership is going to do. So, again, Gravy's Green and Grey Gravy. And thank you very much for this unique partnership. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. I'm Nathan Bear, and uh, with me, as always, forever and ever, buddy, is uh, Mr. Michael Kelly. That's right, Nathan. Thank you. Hi. And uh, Mike has uh, brought along a few of our uh, old friends. Uh, we have with us uh, Tom Beto, who was last with us on uh, Son of Godzilla. That was a long time ago. Yes, it was. I'm back and I'm ready to finish what I started. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and uh, also with us is uh, Miss Kara Palermo, who was last with us on uh, Godzilla. Excuse me. Uh, King Kong. King Kong and King Kong Lives. Lives, King yes. King Kong 76 and yes. then King Kong Lives. Uh, but not King Kong 3. That movie has yet to come out. Although it uh, should. It should. It should. That was some good stuff. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and we are here today to talk about uh, some, uh, depending on how you look at it, not so good stuff. Uh, and we are referring to um, the one and only Godzilla... 1998, the Roland Emmerich uh, film. Film. It it was recorded on film. Celluloid was put into uh, a roll and then put into a camera, and that uh, was then forced to absorb light. Yes. Uh, it's cut together and released in 1998. Can I just say that one of the things I, one of the victories of this movie, and I think it's completely not has nothing to do with the movie itself is that it was made in 1998 so there was still a lot of like practical like models of at least the city of new york yes and stuff which has sort of kind of a lasting sort of a what am i trying to say mood that they've set up mm -hmm. um but you know all the stuff with godzilla himself looks a little dated yeah because he's completely cg for i think every shot Something almost like that. every shot is, except for is yeah, I think the baby Godzillas. Oh yeah, uh, those are guys those in are, suits. Yeah, that yeah. that that's pretty good. Which is interesting. Well, some of some of the shots are suits. Some yeah. of them are completely CG. Yeah, but like before they start they, running away. Yeah, everything looks great. Yeah, in fact, it could almost have been a more legitimate sequel to Jurassic Park at that point. Uh, Even though the Lost World came out the year before. <laughs> oh, that's not right. not to nitpick you. But The Lost World is right. 100,000 times better than this, although it's not a great movie. No, but it is. It was directed <laughs> by Spielberg, unlike this movie. Yeah. Roland Emmerich, who likes to steal, do Spielberg-y-like stuff, yeah. but can never quite... Um, just, just watch the Terry Gilliam interview where he talks about Roland Emmerich. 
<laughs> we we figured it was a good idea to maybe since it's been two years since we reviewed a movie with the word Godzilla in the title mm-hmm. that we maybe do one of those again just to see how it feels. Yeah, especially yeah. since our name brand is the Godzilla Podwar Hour. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, just to kind of strengthen yeah. that connectivity. I thought it was a better idea than Police Academy. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, well, which is what Mike was pulling for. Yeah, there was there. There are a few choices. It wasn't just Police Academy. There was also the Beethoven movies well, we, and we uh, Air to, Bud. We, we were talking about doing Godzilla Pod War Hour Season 2 Police Academy with just zero ramp up and zero explanation and just go through and do all seven Police Academy films and then the cartoon show and then the live action series and never actually acknowledge the fact that it had nothing to do with Godzilla. Well, now we can't do it anymore. Well, I don't think we're going to do it anyways, but but that idea was on the table for months. We can still do The Land Before Time. I think they're up to number 27, so... uh, We're still making them. (laughs) They go directly to Crackle. (laughs) Crackle. We put a commercial every five minutes. Crackle. This is, uh... This is interesting. Just straight up, first of all, Kara, just I want to get your thoughts initially, just about this movie. What you know, obviously we're going to get into specifics later. But as a scientist, what mm. did you feel that was this a powerful story, or did your knowledge of science maybe enhance it or make it like a better experience for you? Or can you maybe can you go into that a little? Um. <laughs> well, I have specific science problems. I don't know if I want to bring up. Right now in the introduction. I remember seeing this movie in theaters. Yeah. And thinking it was terrible, even though I was a little kid. Right. And then I started watching it, I was like, this isn't as bad as I remember it being. But by the end, I hated every single person in the movie. Right. So. Good. Okay. (laughs) Those are my thoughts. (laughs) Perfect. And now, uh, Tom, you have a a, a, a kind of a personal... uh, Experience, maybe, yeah. from uh, the year 1998 that maybe you could uh, share with the uh, people out in podcast land? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the only movie I've ever... No, it's not the only movie. I walked out of two movies, and they were both in the year 1998. Do tell. Uh, the first was Godzilla, directed mm-hmm. by Roland Emmerich. Yeah. And the second was John McTiernan's The Thomas Crown Affair. I don't know why I walked out of that movie. I think people regard that movie... Pretty yeah. well, right? I think it's the last good John McTiernan movie. Yeah, I think I was at that special age of of pretentiousness and arrogance coming together, and and, and total naivete, like at, at the perfect fulcrum for me, yeah. for me to to think that walking out of movies was was some cool fu to the Hollywood establishment. Uh, nobody cares if you walk out of a movie. I mean, I should have stayed. Well, it's a two-part thing. It's getting the reaction from the people who are in the theater at the time, and then telling people about it later on. Right. Um, so you gotta you gotta make a scene out of it. Um, anyways, I, ironically, I think we went to Taco Bell after we walked out of the movie and <laughs> walked right back into <laughs> a soulless advertisement for merchandise for the movie Godzilla. Here, lizard, right. lizard, wait, wait, lizard. Wait, wait, you walked out of Thomas Crown Affair? No, no, into, no. I or... walked out of Godzilla, yeah. <laughs> went to get dinner at Taco Bell, and came home with a Godzilla cup. So, so they still got, they still got, they you. still got, got <laughs> they still got your buddy. Still went to Toho Group via yeah. TriStars deal. There's like, there's a lot I want to talk about. The just the making of this movie is fascinating, both on a personal level, like history I have with the yeah. making of it, and just 
some of the research I've done is insane. Mm -hmm. I can tell you the first thing that comes to mind with Godzilla 1998 to me was Godzilla 1994, which never really happened, but was previewed in an issue of uh, Starlog magazine or what like, so, some. It was either Starlog or like Wizard or one of those. I mean, maybe it may have been Toy Fair. There was a lot of. There used to be these things called magazines, and inside of them there were pictures, and a lot of them were in color, and they had them about all sorts of different things. And one of them, like there was magazines about like video games, comic books, action figures, movies, and I think one of them there was. Um, I, I very clearly remember there was like a picture. Of, and it was like a real ad. It was like a fully done, you know, thing you'd see in a trade magazine or, 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 or something like that, where it was just like a, I think it was like a studio lot, uh, like a, like the, a, a building, you know, like a sideways view of a building. And there was a giant shadow of this obviously reptilian thing with scales on its back. And it just said like Godzilla summer 1994. And I and I read that as a kid in like the '90s, and I was like, my brain exploded. I was like, oh my god, they're gonna do. And it said, I think it said TriStar, and I was like, oh, you know, they're gonna do it, you know, finally, which is what I'd wanted since I knew, you know, that movies existed. It was, mm -hmm. a, was a Hollywood version of Godzilla with all the trimmings. Yeah. Um, they also might have hired someone other than Roland Emmerich. Well, they did. They, yeah, they, they hired for a long time. Jan de Bont, uh, after Speed, it was like before Speed, because Speed came out in 1993, and Twister didn't come out till like 96 or 97, so what Jan de Bont was working on that whole time was Godzilla. It wasn't, and, it wasn't Hale? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anybody too. remember that? Hale? 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 From the MTV Movie Awards, it was oh. Mike Myers playing Jan de Bont, and he was... He's like, I'm making this movie hail, <laughs> and every single piece of hail has a name and a character and a personality I've assigned to it. It was really funny. That's good to know. 1996, when Mike Myers still ruled the world. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, basically, the short version is it was in development hell from 1991. Peter Gruber, who I guess had moved from Warner Brothers over to TriStar... He was the guy who was instrumental in making Tim Burton's Batman. He was like one of the people who really supported Michael Keaton playing Batman. So he's a pretty cool guy. Hmm. He used to have a show on AMC. Um, anyways, he was like he was the one who like uh, was it was it was Harry S. Sepperstein, the guy who produced King Kong versus Godzilla. He argued to Pete Gruber, he's like, hey. Let's it's you know it's the '90s. Let's do a Godzilla movie and throw like a ton of money at it, and it could be like just name recognition alone. You know, we'll be rich off the merchandise or whatever. Peter Gruber's like, yeah. So like, he was the one who went to Toho and like sat down with Toho and was like, all right, guys, give us a shot. And uh, and so they got the rights and they took the rights, I guess, over to TriStar again. I you know, I guess he moved from Warner Brothers to. TriStar at that time. So, I did, but like, I did read that Tomiyuki Tanaka was aware, but did not physically participate due right. to illness. Well, uh, what happened was okay. Sorry, like they uh, at that point, two guys worked on a script, and this was known as the Yon de Bont script, and they worked hand in hand. I might add with James Cameron, 
mm. who was coming off of like true lies and they were like well if there's one guy in hollywood who knows how to get things done made for a budget it's james cameron and so like for a huge <laughs> budget you know, again again this was uh not solidly thought out reasoning okay but maybe i don't know whatever they they just knew he was good with effects he had done terminator 2 they had he had done the abyss and they knew that they didn't want to do godzilla unless he was cg because they wanted it not to not they were like staunchly opposed against the man in the suit thing they're like we cannot do that it's got to be cg well who's the guy who's been the most successful cg jim cameron and jim cameron was working with these two guys on the script again for like five years like he doing doing other stuff as well but like he was always like made himself available to him to console them and stuff to like rewrite the script and they went through like 25 versions of it or whatever and like um basically like godzilla was no longer an irradiated like dinosaur he was like from atlantis and he was going to be fighting this thing called griffin there was the griffin griffin or something, something. and uh and and this got into like stan winston did a yeah. design on it and you can find the the stan winston design um and it looks pretty awesome and you know you look at it you you wish that they would have done use that design because it's it looks pretty great i mean it's like a combination of like the predator and then like what you would imagine is the general overall shape of Godzilla. It looks, it's pretty beautiful. But no, of course, uh, the guy who eventually ended up working on it went another way. Basically what happened is they could never quite figure out how to get Godzilla on screen as a CG guy and not have it be $130 million or like $200 million. And so... That's when, and so Yonda Bond's just like, peace out, I'm going to go make Twister. You know, I've worked on this for like five years. It's in developmental hell or whatever. And, and basically, Independence Day came out in 1996. And Roland Emmerich, who also directed uh, Stargate, starring James Spader. Um, and he had also made the, best, the second best Jean-Claude Van Damme movie ever, uh, Universal Soldier. Um, he, you know, he basically they saw what they did with Independence Day and they're like, hey, just this guy clearly understands disaster movies, mm-hmm. you know, give him. And they, they just basically handed Godzilla over to him on a silver platter. And they're like, do whatever you want to do. You have complete creative. You can write it, direct it. We completely trust you. And at that point, they threw out everything <laughs> for like the last, you know five years of development hell and they were just like okay godzilla you know and that's so that's when they brought in tatopolis to do the the redesign mm-hmm. and to- patrick to- patrick Tatopoulos. <laughs> not to be confused with nick Tatopoulos, who actor matthew broderick portrays mm. in this turd Yes, <laughs> the uh the the uh the peanut in this turd why right. why do you think they named the character i swear to god roland emmerich was going through the script he's like we need a name to top what is this who's making it patrick to top okay that's a good lady that's his name now he just looked across his desk like a running joke i do think the running joke is because roland emmerich was making fun of topless as they were making the movie yeah he couldn't he couldn't remember his name when they were in pre-production he was probably like Topopopolis, and, and then he was yeah. like, this is hilarious. Like, we should put this in the script. <laughs> this will make this film more grounded. And 
you know, gritty and, and real. It's real. Yeah. It's the struggle we the, have to do every day. The commentary, which I believe Patrick Totopoulos is in, but also several other members. Uh, one one member of the special effects crew says that she sympathizes because her last name is Greek as well, and uh, no one can pronounce it right. So it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, well, Patrick was obsessed with the movie The Jungle Book as a child. Uh-huh. And he had the image of the face of the villain from The Jungle Book. Shere Khan? Uh, yes, Shere Khan burned into his head. And he was always obsessed with Shere Khan's prominent chin. Mm. So when he was redesigning Godzilla's face, he's like, I'm just going to give him Shere Khan's chin and no one will notice. So that's why Godzilla has that chin in this movie. That's the reason. <laughs> so, look mystery solved. Now, was it a good idea? No. <laughs> uh, so what's the reason behind the more curved dinosaur back? Is that, is that more, is that because, just a Jurassic Park? Well, well uh, it's because Dean was, Devlin is... gave him the directive to say he's got to look like he can run very fast. Okay. That was his only... That was his only directive to Patrick Tatavis. Like he's got to look, he's got to stand, like like he has to look like he can be fast and like deadly. Yeah, lethal, as they said. And then he uh, just left him alone. Yeah. And that's when they and they made that design, the design that we now know as Zilla, Mm -hmm. as as Godzilla nineteen ninety eight, and took that over to Japan. And that's when Tamanuka Tanaka was not at that meeting because mm-hmm. he was in the hospital dying. Yeah. And he may have died like the day <laughs> before or the day after this meeting <laughs> when they went over yeah. to Toho and they were like, hey, this is what it's going to look like. And, and the Toho guys were stunned into silence for like 10 minutes. What probably so happened, cool. I can only <laughs> assume, is that Tomiyuki Tanaka at that moment realized what he had done how he had railroaded the series in the 90s, and now this, this was happening. Right. And he could not stop it. Right. He, he opened the box. Right. He opened the gates, and this happened. Again. Stopped, it stopped his heart right there. It stopped his heart. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to make light of the man's death. He was one of the like founders of the series. But yeah. the timing is yeah. just so uncanny. I mean, there's really... There's some digging to do here. Yeah. There's some research to be done. I'm looking at you, Kara, since you're a scientist. Yes. To do that, to do that research. Bring a brush, <laughs> no, bring a not. brush and a shovel. We're going to we're going to do some digging. <sighs> so, that's I, yeah. I just wanted to set. That's the stage with which this yeah this began to happen. This began. Um, to, I saw it twice in the theater, by the way, because I was so pumped. My love of Godzilla was such that I was just like, no, it's good, I'm just watching it wrong! You know, it was one of those things. Were people psyched about this movie? I can't remember. I was psyched about going to Taco Bell. But the general public, were they psyched? I mean, was it like Independence Day all over? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the the teaser trailers were fantastic. Well, the teaser trailer, they really, Roland Emmerich made a teaser trailer a year before the movie was released, and that's... um, that was like one of the first moments I remember of like acknowledging a Godzilla movie because I there have right. been toys there have been toys out that all my friends had you know so that's really where I knew Godzilla from as a kid but the first commercial was uh, old man like leading uh, some children uh, around a museum right. and they're like and this is the Tyrannosaurus Rex it's you know the the the, the, the biggest the biggest yeah. and the baddest of all the dinosaurs and then suddenly you hear a thump and you know everything starts shaking. 
and then you hear, you know, Godzilla's roar, and I, I believe I could be making this up. No, it's a foot. Uh, the foot comes down. It's and on the DVD. It. Oh, <laughs> which is a thing that they used to have back in the eighties. Sorry, the nineties. <laughs> it's short for digital video disc. Uh, anyways, I know, but anyways, but they've got that teaser, and they've got the teaser from the movie where it actually is a scene from the movie where the old dude goes out fishing. I will argue yeah. that there are about an hour. Maybe an hour and 15 minutes into this movie, there is a solid five-minute chunk where it is a great movie. Yeah. And then in, that chunk does not include any of the main characters. No. I think that's why. It's just when Godzilla first reaches the land or whatever, and then, you know, Hank Azaria and everyone gets back into it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, half Polito. of the Simpsons, oh, I, I don't know why, but half of the cast of the Simpsons is in this movie. You've got Hank Azaria, voice of Moe, yeah, actually, too many characters to count. Yeah, but Hank if you Azaria, don't know who Hank Azaria is yeah. and his relation to The Simpsons by now, we can't help you. So Hank Azaria, you've got uh, oh, what's that? Harry Shearer, Harry basically Shear. playing Kent Brockman, right? And you've got um, Nancy Cartwright. Nancy is in Cartwright one is in one scene, actually two. You briefly see Harry Shearer, no, yelling at her about the different tapes at the okay. beginning. Okay, you you see a bit of her, but she her only talking bit is I think your big story just. Walked by. Yeah. 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 So you got three... And that's like her only other credit other than the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. Right? That's it. Well, you she know... She eaten by a cartoon in that movie. Fucked yeah. up scene. Joe Dante directed that segment. <laughs> Anyways. Good old so, Joe Dante. Yeah. Nancy Cartwright, voice of Bart Simpson. I think yeah. that's it. On the Sim- or maybe uh, no, like Nelson. Nelson. She's Nelson. Yeah. I think she, a lot she's Millhouse as well. She's like all the boys. So yeah, a lot of Simpsons people... And a larger thing's like... It, it seems like they rated a TV guide when they casted this thing. Like, yeah. there's a soldier guy who was from Melrose Place who is not funny or effective at all. And it's just sort of like, what? just get real actors. What do you do? There's Kevin Dunn as Colonel Hicks, also known as Sam Witwicky's dad from the first three uh-huh. Transformer movies. The best part, arguably, of the Transformer films yes. is Sam's parents and their scenes. Uh, so he was a welcome addition to this film, although weirdly used in a shit script. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Didn't he play Jay Edgar in the 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 Charlie Chaplin movie? Probably. Um, he he he's been he's he's been getting a lot of work. He was in Ghostbusters too. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, very briefly, he was on Peter Bankman's show. He was the one who predicted that the oh. world would end at midnight. Sets the whole plot into into motion, but uh, anyway, so yeah, he's he's not bad, but like again, you've got Hank Azaria as this cameraman animal, and just I do think we have like Jean Renault. I, I finally got his well, character name towards like the last ten minutes of the Roche. movie. His name is Philippe. No, all the French people are named Jean something, so he's Jean Philippe. <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. Yeah, that's here's, a good here's the thing yeah. about that's solid. Right. Here's the thing about Jean <laughs> Renault. He was to the '90s what Ken Watanabe is to the whatever we are now, the the late aughts, whatever. Yeah, the 2010s. Um, the the thing is, is that Jean Renault was an ethnic character actor. He was the Frenchman. Any movie, uh, excluding like Leon, where he the professional, where he was the main character, right. he was just always like the French friend. He was the French guy. He's yeah. just like Ken Watanabe is the Japanese guy in all the American movies. Yeah, and, I, I and will Peter say, Stormare is the Scandinavian guy. I don't oh. know what country specifically he's from? 
You know the guy from Fargo. The guy from Fargo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Minority Report. He yeah. sells him the eyes. Yeah. 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 Um, I do want to say Jean Renault is such an awesome actor. You said he was in La Femme Nikita. Yeah. He's in... Leon uh, the, the Professional. Leon Professional, which is great because, like, La Femme Nikita, 1990, Leon the Professional, 94, 95. And, like, I, he's playing the same character, even though, spoiler alert... On La Femme Nikita, he does get killed in that. So mm. it's like they brought him back to life because he was so badass. They yeah. don't do that very often. They do that sometimes with Chow Yun-Fat. But, yeah. like, they don't do that that often. That's how badass he was. He was in two amazing movies called, like, Crimson Rivers and Crimson Rivers 2 with um, Vincent Cassel uh, in France. Those movies are fucking perfect. Yeah. Uh, he was in Ronin with Robert De Niro. Jean Reno is great and okay. he honestly in re- re-watching this is i think one of the few things that keeps me interested in this movie absolutely because he somehow has managed to flawlessly balance like camp and professionalism in this movie like you believe his character at the same time you know there's a little bit of t- there's there's some well, yeah i mean i will argue it. that he gets the tone yeah he may be the only person yeah. involved in the entire movie who yeah. understands what or not the tone because like i don't think roland ever understands the tone but i think john no has an yeah. idea yeah. of what the tone should have been yeah and he just acts to that movie yeah. that may or may not exist so it, it, you know, it, it just every time he comes onto the screen, it's like suddenly this waft of fresh air just fills your lungs. You're like, okay, I can get through this next, you know, minute and minute and a half of this. You make month. those promises to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't feel this way at all. Right. Because even though he's great, I don't understand why he's in it. His character's in it. So I every think, time he's on screen, I'm like, I just don't understand what's happening. I think it's because Godzilla is an irradiated iguana that comes from French Polynesian islands. Yes. And that's that France connection. Yeah. And that's it. America, that's never said out loud. No, I, yeah. get, I get the plot of it. Yeah. I just don't understand the purpose <laughs> of what of he's the doing. French people in the story. That he, says he, he says in the scene in the taxi cab, which we'll get to later, essentially, I have to save my country, even if it's sometimes from itself. And I think in his case, it's like, look, we're going to take the blame for this. We need somehow to stop this before it Right, spreads. and it's just because in the American movie, they didn't want America to be the bad guys? Of course not. Oh, never, yeah. Never. I was actually shocked in Godzilla 2014 when they actually talked about American nuclear bombings being the source of... You never hear about French nuclear bombs. <laughs> I mean, I don't, anyways. Oh, well, France I... was the second... Uh, country or no third country after the Soviet Union to get nuclear weapons, and they would uh, launch them on their colonies in Algeria first, and then uh, after Algeria gained independence, they decided to uh, blow up areas of Tahiti. Uh, Aunt Mimi, if you're listening, bonjour. Uh, <laughs> they uh, that is staying yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> they uh, they decided to like the Americans uh, evacuate islands of their uh, native people and, uh, you know, so just that's, test bombs there. That's yeah. where you get them. Yeah. Um, um, I think we should talk about maybe the character of Audrey, played by Maria Patillo. Yeah, Patillo. Was she in every, anything else? She, okay, from what I could find, she was Bronson Pinchot's lady friend in the film True Romance when they're driving down the highway and he gets stopped by the cop and all that cocaine explodes in his oh. face. She's Candy. She's, <laughs> she's, a, 
she's the one who's like gets him in trouble. Yeah. And then sets the rest of the plot of that movie, which is so many times better than this yeah. movie. I don't think it's a kind of a waste of time. Can we just say. watch that right now? Can we just turn this I mean, off and I've watched watch it in my Trump. head sort of all the time. But like, yeah, so that was that was the career peak for her. Mm-hmm. And uh she was in a couple other movies. She was not in a lot. After this, and this is absolutely one of those times you see it once in a while in Hollywood, where like Hollywood will put up someone and be like, "Here she is, here's her star-making role, everybody," and they just get they put up a performance for whatever reason that performance just gets rejected by literally everyone, and it's mm. like it's the last thing they ever do. Mm. Um, and you see that sometimes. I can't think of any specific examples, probably because of the very nature of the problem itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost people like, just get shut down it's you know? almost and she like, got shut down after this movie she was in like two TV shows and yeah. like that's it and unlike everyone else she wasn't on The Simpsons or uh, yeah she, she, had, she nothing, had nothing she had no else TV to, yeah. show to fall back on I mean maybe it was her own choice she went to the premiere of Godzilla she watched her own performance she saw the ultimate futility of the whole thing and was like, no more. I am not going in front of another camera. Life, this isn't for me. This is not for me. Life's too short. <laughs> I've been yeah. acting since 1985, but no more. This is... Never again. <laughs> Never again. Or whatever, yeah. she, Or maybe she saw some of Matthew Broderick's performance in the dailies and she was trying to emulate his... I think what can only be classified as a non-performance mm-hmm. in this film... Uh, <laughs> yeah, watching watching I hate I hate Matthew. Watching Fox. him in this movie, he almost even he seems so out of place as to a lot of people. Yeah, but, but he's it, like super out of place. Watching this movie, it was like, all oh, right, putting Matthew Broderick in movies was a thing. Like you know, and I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but it's just there's a point where it's just like, right, he used to be in movies. You know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and uh, the producers, like, people used to put him in movies. He used to be, like, in the front. He used to be the... Well, the thing is, is that his... He continues to look like a boy. Yeah. And at this point, it's like, when this movie's made, that's still acceptable, but now he's got kind of a creepy thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. The only truthful part of his performance is when he nearly ran uh, his car head-on into that truck... I'm sorry. If you know anything about Matthew Broderick, that oh, was a no, really no, bad no, take. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, God. We <laughs> killed someone, yeah. Tom, and you? Matthew Broderick is okay <laughs> to make fun of that on this show? I mean, it's fun. He, he, he killed a whole family. Yep. It was an island. <laughs> oh my God! It was Tom, an island. Why are you right? doing this? Sarah Jessica Parker was in the car with him. It was terrible. Anyway, back to Godzilla. <laughs> I don't know what's worse now. This oh, is, uh, all right. Uh, so b- budget of one hundred and thirty million. Uh, Grossed three hundred and seventy-nine million dollars. So, but is still seen as a flop, uh, and rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, D. Devlin, when contacted after you know what he was hiding in the Galapagos <laughs> Islands, 
Uh, you know, after this movie, after, you know, people were, were searching for him for demanding his, his throat, uh, in payment as for the insult that was this film, he was like, we made two mistakes. The one mistake is we never committed to whether or not Godzilla was a good guy or a bad guy. Mm-hmm. That was mistake number one. He was, we depicted him as an animal and people just rejected that. I'm like, well... That's what he said. And then the second mistake was telling major story arc chunks in the middle and later part of the movie was he he believes were the undoing of it. Which I think you could do both of those things and still just make a good movie. Yeah. I mean, because the original King Kong, King Kong is an animal. And you still yeah. are able to balance, like, sympathy. Even in King Kong Lives, yeah. which I would argue yes. is superior. Yes, definitely, <laughs> at this point, most certainly. If uh, only cause... for the camp value yeah. of the last scene where King Kong's son is just a guy in a party store gorilla yeah. suit. Again, possibly Jim Belushi from the end of Training <laughs> Places. Uh, anyways... So that's what yeah. uh, I do think. This is the movie, though, that was like Roland and em- Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, because they were producing directing partners, starting back from uh, I don't know what they did before Universal Soldier, but everything up from Universal Soldier to I think maybe the day after tomorrow or something. Mm-hmm. But they did finally split up, and but this was definitely I think the beginning of that rift when they yeah. had, you know they'd done everything. You know, because Universal Soldier was a hit, Stargate was a hit, Independence, Independence Day, Day was Ooh. a huge hit. Saw it three times. So I, yeah, I saw it at least three times, possibly four times. Um, so like, and I think this was when everyone saw this and was just like, nope. I think that was maybe the the beginning of the disintegration of that producing directing uh, relationship. But who's to say? It never occurred to me that this was a flop as a kid. I was not allowed to watch the movie, but the merchandise was yeah. there. The commercials were there. Uh, we even had the Godzilla um, water water bottle, which right. was Godzilla curled up around the Empire State Building, and where the steeple was, you'd have the, the straw. Yeah. So. I mean, that's the weird thing, is that technically it's not a flop. Like, it made a ton of money. I mean, even if you... Take away the budget and add an extra hundred million dollars for like advertising costs. It's still clearing upwards of a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. in profit. Like that's pretty good. But it's just you know, people just have a deep problem with this movie. You know. What did they make after this? I think the follow up was day after tomorrow. No, uh, that would have been uh, nearly ten. That would have been like eight years later. Not that long, but because uh, day after tomorrow was two thousand five, two thousand six. No, their movies like started getting very forgettable after this. I think. Yeah. That's the point. <laughs> remember, well, except had, for that. I mean, this they, is still forgettable, but they it was did twenty twelve when they did that Shakespeare movie. Remember that movie about how Shakespeare didn't? Oh didn't yes. write his own books. Oh, yes. being ghost oh, yeah. written by. It wasn't the assassin. It was the. Oh yeah, that was weird. The uh, the uh, the not assassin. Yeah, the only movie they made where a building doesn't get blown apart. Right. I was actually surprised that well, I didn't actually pay to see the Stonewall movie, but that during the movie, like an aircraft carrier didn't explode. 
Uh, well, oh, I more... forgot about Stonewall. Yeah, we all yeah. tried to forget about Stonewall. Well, Stonewall uh, was just Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Uh, by then he broke... And, and Roland Emmerich has gone on... He broke up with Dean. He broke yeah. up with Dean. Dean's doing his own thing. We wish him well. Yeah. But, like, Roland Emmerich did, like, 2012 by himself. Yeah. And, like... Again, it's, I'm having some real trouble coming up with any of their other movies. Because they're so... Just both yeah. Garbage. There was certainly <laughs> a time... This is, like, probably the movie that just kind of, like... Like, is, is Dean Devlin involved with Independence Day Resurgence at all? I don't believe either of them were involved. Was no, no, Roland Emmerich is directing. He is directing. Is directing Independence Day Resurgence, which I want to, you know, kind of point this out to everyone, does not come out on July 4th. <laughs> what? Yeah, it comes out, like, I think next week or, like, June 28th or something. Or, 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 like, end of June, but not on the 4th of July, which is, that's awesome. Well, you don't want to blow the load on one day. I mean, like, if the movie sucks, you want to trick people into seeing it in late June and then have people do the whole, like, oh, we have to see it on July 4th, too. Like, and then you, know you get what? two solid weeks of... That's uh, that's actually a really good point. If it was a good movie, they would have put it out on July 4th. All right, what, what else have, uh, what else did they do, conically? Listen, so Stonewall was, was, cr- was important. The Patriot. Oh, the Patriot. The Patriot. Patriot. Oh, my goodness, with Mel Gibson. Oh. How did we forget about that? Oh, well, okay, actually, so no, I know the... why we forgot about it. Yeah, so, okay. Um, yeah, so The Patriot. I remember Patriot. I got a ticket going to see that movie because my brother suggested I drive over a median. And because uh, I was going the wrong way down a highway, and I was oh, just like, oh, and I was like, we can't miss the Patriot starring Mel Gibson. <laughs> so I drove. I so I drove over. I used the uh, I used the emergency. I bet you thing. did a fist pump in the air when the dude's leg got taken out by the cannonball. No, that I did. I always so Tom. I always do fist pumps when things like that happen in movies. I'm surprised Jean Renault was not hired I do want to say as to, the French guy to, in that movie. To, to finish that story, there was like four cop cars who immediately pulled me over and but my brother paid for the ticket afterwards because uh he's a great guy. So very he, sweet. He's a very, very sweet. sweet guy and I love him. So anyways, uh thank you Ben. But uh that was like Jesus, that was like twenty years ago that was or something. I swear that movie came out yeah two thousand so before nine eleven yeah pre nine eleven just like Godzilla nineteen ninety eight yeah which makes it so weird yeah Godzilla yeah. nineteen eighty eight and nine eleven let's talk about this <laughs> hey, I mean it you is already talked of... about murdering a family <laughs> look let's it is kind of Godzilla an elephant in the room because all of us here and those of you listening who were born and grew up before uh, the events of September the eleventh uh, who can recall it happening. I can watch this movie with uh, kind of uh, a weird sense of cruel irony because there's a scene where Harry Shearer, playing Kent Brockman, is you know announcing this is the worst catastrophe to happen since the World Trade Center bombing, which, for those of you who can't guess, did not take down the two towers. It killed right. a lot of people. It was a yeah. horrible travesty. Tragedy. It was that too, though. But... Um, yeah, it like the the fact is when this movie was made, it was uh, I guess un, unfathomable un, that yeah. it could the, get yeah. worse. There's, There's a, a part world. where Harry Shearer says, "I don't like." He says, "Like uh, I don't I don't want to talk about a war in a country whose name I can't even pronounce." That's not news, and I, I guess he was probably talking about Bosnia, Croatia, because it was right. 1998 or whatever. Yeah. 
But like just the whole idea of this big lumbering thing coming into New York and causing this massive disaster like after that, um, you know, it's it's just a very prescient sort of weird thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and also the tone of the movie yeah. is so light. Yes. That, yeah. I mean, you could never make this movie, Yeah. you know, after September 11th. At least for a long time. Yeah, but yeah. and even, even Cloverfield, if you could, yeah. it would never be this lighthearted thing where it's right. like, "My God, you blew up the Chrysler Building," and then it's yeah. like a joke about that. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's even an insert shot where the South Tower gets struck by lightning, um, which is strange. But it had, it had <laughs> a lightning that, rod; yeah. it would attract lightning. That's that's how it works. I'm just saying, it's just a, it's just an interesting insert shot. Yeah, you know, Illuminati confirmed. The movie knows. Illuminati, <laughs> Illuminati yes, confirmed. Yes. Is all I'm saying. Now, Tom, you said you had some crazy 9/11 theories that you wanted to get into in explicit detail. Now's the time. Please elaborate. Well, it starts with <laughs> Harry Shearer talking about the war in the foreign country, uh, and uh, how that's not really news. And then this gigantic thing happens on the homeland in New York, and then um, that that's a metaphor for te- for for terrorism, right. like a major attack against the United States. And then it create uh, it it gives birth to all these little baby Godzillas, yeah. which is um, uh, a result of oh no what what does the mayor say? He says he says. You cause more damage than that goddamn thing did when, when when he's talking about the military trying to kill Godzilla. Yeah. There's all this collateral damage. Certain reviewers have mentioned that one of the flaws of this movie is the fact that Godzilla can be killed by the military. And if you notice, through most of this film, the only reason that Godzilla is allowed to cause so much damage is because somehow the military keeps missing. Yeah. It, yes. All, all it takes is what, like four tomahawk miss or yeah. four yeah. sidewinders into That's his chest. That's one of Godzilla's magical powers. Yeah. Is, is expert like Han Solo evading Greedo's yeah. blast <laughs> yeah. in the special edition, yeah. like an almost Jedi like sense of like, oh, that is a missile that I have no idea what that is and has never encountered in yeah. my entire short life. I guess I'm going to avoid it. Yeah. You know, Godzilla doesn't know what that is. You yeah. might think it's like a butterfly. Why try to go up and kiss it? Yeah. But it instinctively knows to like just sort of beautifully and smoothly, yeah. balletically duck and avoid these missiles, which are always next to like very famous buildings. Yeah. Do you think that animals are going around kissing each other? Is that what? Um, I mean, happen? dogs kiss have kissed me. <laughs> if oh, we you, have... if if you let them. Yeah. Let it out. <laughs> it's not your fault, Mike. It's not your no, fault. No, I know it's not my fault. Don't you fuck with me. <laughs> Sorry. No, but yeah, animals can be very... You know, uh, don't uh, don't penguins like rub rub their bills against one another? Right? Or they, they hug? Yeah, but they're they not spoon. They spoon. Definitely. <laughs> they're no, not kissing butterflies. Not true. What I'm saying is... Like, Godzilla has no, there's no point of reference but to what yeah. a missile is. Yeah. But he just perfectly dodges it. And in the original Godzilla, the whole thing is that man cannot destroy this beast. You know, Although weapons we, are ineffective. We really, And okay. therefore, some scientist has to come up with a bizarre way of defeating 
outside the box way of we, defeating. We should refer to it as Zilla. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, let it go. All right, weirdo Tom Beto here just pointed to the clock and it said 9-11 p.m. This is gonna That's be just a, a coincidence. It's getting really weird. There is going to be a strong you didn't 9 let me finish. We're going to have it's to cut true. all of this. This is seven minutes worth of stuff. It's just going to be unusable. Oops, all 9 11. <laughs> Oops, all 9 11. <laughs> Oops, Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> yes, pull this, th- this is like the last 15 years of Cerberus. It's just revealed that we're fucking lunatics the whole time. Look, right, the American continue. military tries to destroy this problem of terrorism and instead causes all kinds of collateral damage. Right. Now, the baby Godzillas are a metaphor for terrorism. Popping up in little pockets right. everywhere, all over the world, and 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 multiplying endlessly, and, and that's like a whole new problem that America has to deal with. Right, that America created. Right? That America created. Freedom mm. isn't free, Tom. You Freedom isn't free. It costs folks like you and me. All right, we're gonna cut all that out. <laughs> well, we can't. There's too much good stuff. We'll there. save this for the special edition. <laughs> our, uh, our eight-year anniversary. <laughs> Anyway, what were you talking about? On being underground? I want to talk about why this well, movie... J- just, well, okay, oh. sorry. I'm going to completely ignore you and shut you down. No, I was just saying that I don't think Manhattan could be an island that people could go back to for about five years after the events of this movie because of all the infrastructural damage done beneath the island if this creature... The whole thing going underneath. Right. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. It yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. It'd be really easy to find him. The fact that he disappears, it's like, no, there's going to be a gigantic hole He's where he huge. went in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's and kind that of happens like... immediately after, the again, the five minutes that I said that were good. Yeah. That's before he starts all that tunneling business. <laughs> yeah, in the original Godzilla, in Godzilla 1954, the original, he's hiding in the water. And the water is vast. Like, a lot of water. You know, something so, presumably of, of that size could... Presumably hide right underwater. I mean, you know, I hate to bring up another you know tragedy, but you know the planes that were lost in uh, you know, the Malaysian flight mm-hmm. was lost. Right. Can't find it. We find bits and pieces, but we still haven't confirmed where exactly it went down. Right. That's the scary thing about water. Manhattan is not the ocean. Manhattan is very small, very compact. Um. Yeah, and it. There's so many other problems that open up with that tunneling thing as far as, like, spectacular size inconsistency issues. Mm. And, like, that's okay if it's a movie like King Kong versus Godzilla from 1963 where you have Kong in one scene being this big and then another scene he can stand on top of the the Capitol building in downtown Tokyo. There's, like... Yeah. As, like going back and looking at that movie now as an adult, you can see like things like that jumping out. Yeah. But like for a movie that came out in 1998 that would cost $130 million, you'd think at some point, like I'm just thinking about stuff they established. Like when Godzilla looks at Matthew Broderick's yeah. character, Nick Katopoulos, when he like, when Nick like has them dump all that tuna. Mm-hmm. In uh, in the street or whatever, Godzilla looks at him. You can see Godzilla's eye because they spend quite a bit of time on it. And Godzilla's eye, I would say, is the size of like a tire. Yeah. 
Something about that big. And now there's another scene where they're in the tunnel. Yes. And Godzilla's eyes like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. I mean, it's like three or four times as big easily. Yeah. And that other scene was like ten minutes before that. Did anyone watch this movie before they released it? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Can I he change the size of his eye? Maybe it's like the <laughs> ring in Lord of the Rings. It changes depending on who's looking at it. Uh, <laughs> Fucking lazy. Should, should we should we uh, start analyzing the plot or what? I think that's not a bad idea, Nathan. So the plot begins uh, with a tuna boat that contains every Asian character actor in Hollywood at that point, yeah. including the guy from uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, who tells Jason Scott Lee on the boat ride over, he's playing a Chinese guy in that one, mm-hmm. that uh, Bruce Lee didn't have quote, a Chinaman's chance to make it in Hollywood or America, and he likened that to the story of uh, the Chinese workers being left basically to go on suicide missions while they were constructing the Transcontinental Railroad. Mm -hmm. That actor, that guy is awesome. He's Mm -hmm. in this movie for two minutes and is killed. Much like the Dragon the Bruce Lee story. He's He's on a boat for two minutes and then he's not in the rest of the movie. Also, the guy from Die Hard who eats the uh, Mounds Bar or whatever. Are you telling me they cast an Asian actor as a Japanese in one movie and a Chinese in another? Tom, I know this is a little difficult to understand as this is the first time this has ever happened. Yeah. But, yes. <laughs> I'm appalled. I know it. And the guy from Die Hard is... And uh, there's a guy from uh, Big Trouble in Little China who is part of the good guys team um, who is also uh, in it for like two two seconds. And, uh, and then they all get killed. I, this scene was uh, effective-ish, I would say. The, 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 even though none of this stuff's super good, I'd say the stuff towards the beginning of the movie is at least, at least a little bit more functional. Mm-hmm. It, it, you feel like yeah. it's building to something. Yes. Yeah. You feel like it is going to go somewhere. I mean, it's got a good opening credit sequence, yeah. followed by that scene. I mean, it's, it's a decent start to the movie. Dave Arnold... Did the score for this movie, and mm-hmm. he also did the score for the Matrix movies. Mm-hmm. So that's why, and he did the Matrix films the year after this movie. So you could tell he was building to something. Yeah, musically. Well, I mean, that movie changed everything. Yes, it did. Like for better or for worse, it changed everything. Also, Unlike this movie. brought back Bullet Time in the tra- trailer for the new Kevin Hart movie. It's the first time I've seen Bullet Time in like seven years. Oh, brought yeah. it back. So everything that's old is new again. Anyways, so yeah, good opening sequence yeah sort of cool they showed the atom bomb test from rodan that's also in godzilla 2014 Mm -hmm. probably just because there's a lack of really good atomic bomb footage that's compelling so they always use that one shot uh but anyways yeah so it destroys a ship uh yeah um we cut to uh matthew broderick singing singing in the rain rain. that cut that cut is well done Yes, that's the only time in the movie where there is like a cool, interesting cut. Yes, where like it's 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 the Japanese guys, their bodies slamming up against the back of yeah. the uh, sort of the captain's nest or whatever, and it cuts to like a shot across the windshield of like a slow, controlled movement over to his face. Yeah, that there was some that, that is the first and last time there was actual thought. Yeah, put into the movement of like one shot connecting to another. Probably was an accident. We have to assume. So Broderick as Nick 
Tatopolis, uh, is in Chernobyl, uh, having a good, you know, Chernobyl time. Uh, and he's investigating worms. So he sticks a little doohickey into the, the ground and it makes the worms squirm. Uh, and he's intercepted by some Ukrainian uh, troops. Uh, and a guy without a Ukrainian accent. Yes. Just so the audience understands. Yes. And, Even uh, though he only says like three words. Like, I'm, I'm from the State Department. It's like, but I, I, my, I've been working on this for three months. And it's like, well, you're off it now. Yeah. Something like that. Ah, presumably for his expertise in things being mutated due to radiation. Although that comes into question a few scenes. Later. Yeah, it it does <laughs> because he's uh, sent to Panama. Yeah, he's sent... in Panama because it's the only way Godzilla can get from the Pacific Ocean to New York. I guess the Pacific Ocean's not, not that big a place. Now we br- <laughs> bring this up. He's going from the Pacific Ocean. To the Atlantic Ocean. I'll bring this up again in a few minutes. Oh yeah, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. We'll we'll get to it. We'll we'll get to it in 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 a moment. But so he's in Panama, and uh, he finds a giant footprint. Or yeah, stuff happens, and then he's in a giant footprint. He says, "Is there an animal that could make this?" Which I feel like he's a biologist. He should yeah know that. And it's brought up. He meets the the redhead. Um, uh, poor man's Kathy Griffin. Yes. <laughs> uh, and she immediately <laughs> I mentions, I, I, I knew this wasn't your expertise, but I brought you on anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it is his expertise. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like actually the perfect person for the job because it's like he, he studies mutations due to radiation. And she immediately has a, the hugest lady boner ever for yeah. Matthew Broderick also. Like, she, it's instantaneous. She's yeah. like, hey, this is Nick Totopoulos. And she turns and, like, takes down her sunglasses. Like, oh, hello. I mean, it's... it's Totally inexplicable. Inexplicable she, and she's ridiculous. She's clearly into Greek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean... She Broderick she, doesn't really scream Greek, though, in appearance. No, but Tatopoulos I know, does. I know. Uh, she's very, what's very, name, very what's, what's in her name? That's one of those little... The main character's name is not something Roland Everett would notice. Uh, no. So so then poor man's Kathy Griffith begins a onslaught of hilarious late 90s sexual harassment, which uh, is just fantastic. He's, like, touching him a lot, giving him a lot of long glances. I... I don't even know. A lot of this stuff was just lost on me at this point. Um, they they revealed the footprint. They revealed the footprint in such a way, and Roger Ebert, who is actually sort of a character in this movie, or his he him and uh, Gene Siskel are, are are represented by two characters in this film. We'll get into that a little bit later. But he mentioned in his review of the film that the way it's revealed is Matthew Broderick walks up to this footprint walks down a ladder into it and is standing in it. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin Dunn, who is Corporal, or sorry, Major Hicks, Corporal Hicks, Michael Bean from Aliens, different, much better movie. Uh, Kevin Dunn is like, you're, you know, I need a footprint or whatever. Or like, I need a sample. And Kevin Dunn's like, you're standing in it or whatever. And then because the camera sees that it's a footprint, that Matthew Broderick sees it's a footprint, but in reality, he would have seen that it was a footprint coming up to it and walking into it and looking at it. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. So just that disconnect of logic, you think that's a one-time thing, but that's actually sort of the thesis statement of the whole movie. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I feel like you could walk into that footprint and not realize what it is. All right. I well, you might be like this the sound. Whole big hole in the ground. We, yeah. Voices of uh, this this consent, right? This, this, Good. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> we perfect. I believe at this point we. Dissent, uh, right? Disconsent. I do not allow you to do that. Well, disconsent <laughs> is what happens when Roland Emmerich goes to Brian Singer's house. There's uh, lots of disconsent. <laughs> Not there. bad, not bad. No. Good time. No, it is terrible. Singer it is goes horrible. to anyone's house, right? Yeah. Oh. Hi-yo! Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. Oh, boy. Um, um, I want to talk about Fatopolis being chosen for this, though, because yeah, it makes absolutely. sense to us yeah. that it's like he's an expert in mutated creatures, but then when he says, I think it's a mutated creature. On the cargo plane? They're like, that's absolutely not true, but then why would they have hired Thank him? you. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. I was like... What the fuck did you bring him on up here for? Like, yeah. you like he specifically like he's the expert in creatures that have been mutated by radiation, and he says that to them when they're on the cargo plane from Panama to back to uh, New York, presumably. And like, oh no, they go to Panama, then they go to Jamaica to further talk. Yeah, and when they get to Jamaica, they end up running into the ship. Right, but, okay, so when they're on the plane, yeah. she's like, he tells he tells her the theory, again, the thing that he is an expert in, and she, like, laughs at him. She's like, or she, like, she rolls her, his eyes, like, look at this weirdo. And it's just like, what? Yeah. But that's his very... You why, brought him you, on. You decided to bring him here because that, of that. <laughs> why did you do that? Why did you make that choice? Yeah. Explain yourself, movie. <laughs> what is happening? They call him the worm guy because yeah. it's like demeaning for the yeah. most of the rest of the movie. But it's just like might as well just left him in Chernobyl. He would have been fine. He would have been safe. Maybe if there was a scene of like some slightly higher ranking nerdy government guy who was like, "Let's bring this guy on," and then the other guy was like, "I don't want to bring him on. He's just a four eyes. Like I'm not going to listen to anything <laughs> he's that dummy says." And it's like, "No, you got to get along with him. Like now, go down to Panama and meet up with you know." Yeah, that, that would have been sense. some kind of. Yeah. Maybe they cut that scene. Yeah, out, but I didn't see it on the DVD. <laughs> okay, so they go from Panama. They cut to Tahiti. Where Jean Renault is interrogating a survivor of the Japanese ship. And oh, yeah. It, it, this yeah. is where, this, you oh, know, because yeah. Jean Renault, it gets kind of badass because it's yeah. Jean fucking well, Renault. Yeah, he's speaking, they're speaking French. And then when he walks up to the Japanese guy, he asks him in English, English. <laughs> What did you see? <laughs> what old did man? you see, old man? Because the Japanese guy is going to know English. Yeah. And then he lights a cigarette lighter yeah. next to his face. Yeah. Which, by the way, anyone listening to this, if someone's in a coma, that's how you instantly bring them out of yes. this yeah. uh, yes. French secret that uh, their their community has not shared with us. Yeah. But that is not the most ridiculous thing about this scene. Yes. This is the guy says Gojira, Gojira. So the Japanese word for Godzilla, which is the only thing about this movie that is like redeemable is that yeah. that guy says Gojira right then but then the movie turns into Spaceballs Tom's gonna explain no, why. it's the <laughs> it's the scene so good they used it about five or six times throughout the rest right. of the movie because uh, apparently every character in the movie has a VHS copy of the movie Godzilla because they can watch <laughs> yeah. that scene from the movie earlier yeah. there's right. no camera in the room no camera is a pretty famous blooper in this movie yeah because right? he's got the yeah. flame up 
So it's just like, okay, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it right. again. I'm going to hold up right. the... I, I watched it this time looking, because that's always seemed like crazy to me. I'm like, well, they must establish the fact that he's being recorded. Yeah. And there must be someone with a camera or something. He's like, no, it is Jean Renault and this guy. And there's like one other dude, but he's on the other side of the room at an impossible angle. Like, Jean Renault specifically clears out everyone else in the room. He yeah. says, get them out of here. Okay, so... And you see Jean Renault, he's not holding up a VHS camera. Yeah. So again, we can only make the determination that in Jamaica, like one scene later or whatever, they are watching the VHS copy of Godzilla 1998. I mean, otherwise, <laughs> what is happening? They should have been eating Taco Bell when they were watching it. Be like, yeah, this Taco Bell's good as hell. Then we cut listening to... to uh, listening to Puff Daddy. We go to Jamaica and they continue more meaningless dialogue establishing you know how much poor man's kathy griffin loves uh matthew broderick and uh they come to the ship now i'm bringing this up because because of the fact that earlier we mentioned that the ship was sunk in the pacific right and he crossed panama so godzilla presumably Destroyed the ship, yeah. not just for the food, but also carried it with him across the Panama Canal, swam with it. He pulled a Fitzcarraldo. He pulled a Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. He's yeah. Hertzog. Yeah. This lizard took the ship with it across the Panama <laughs> and through the Caribbean and left it on Jamaica. Yes. Tom, do it. Yes, Tom. Tom, do it. Do it, do it Tom. <laughs> Tom, do I it. can't do it right Tom, now. Tom, fucking too do much it. Pressure. Tom, do it. Better be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like the baton of a monstrous relay race. Godzilla the pulled ship. the ship through, through Panama with the dream of starting an opera house in the jungle. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> but what happened? <laughs> <laughs> but he was consumed by madness <laughs> and instead decided to attack New York this year Werner Herzog's Godzilla released by Janus Films in the Criterion Collection it's gonna be his monster piece yeah. <laughs> I, I want to hear more about this movie now this movie sounds better that movie can sounds we, awesome Werner Herzog's Godzilla for those who are not familiar with Werner Herzog, he's the bad guy from Jack Reacher. That's... <laughs> Say no more. Say no more. That's it. Oh, all right. <laughs> Going to put the uh, the brakes on there for a second. Um, so I tell you, we just got so enthusiastic about our conversation about Godzilla 1998 that we actually ended up blathering on for like another hour and a half or whatever. And that's just, let's face it, that's too much Godzilla 1998 to take in one sitting. So what we're going to do, we're going to split it into two parts uh, this time around. Uh, so we got episode 48 is part one, and then episode 49 will be part two. We're going to try to get both of them out to you before the end of uh, the month. So uh, hopefully that's going to happen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're sorry this one took so gosh darn long uh, to get out. 
Um, really, you know, the, the output is going to be winding down uh, in a very serious way for reasons that we'll discuss in, in the second uh, part of this discussion. But, um, you know, it's okay, because sometimes in life, things get you down, you understand? And we have the soothing sounds of someone to get us through the tough parts. And in this case, those soothing sounds come from Puff Daddy.